looking in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, if you'll turn in your Bible there. Uh, I want to start off, I heard a story here recently about a, a couple, they were driving in their car, driving down the road, just having a good time, and all of a sudden, the man got pulled over by a police officer. Police officer comes around to his window and says, sir, you were driving 75 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour zone. He said, no, I was, and I was driving 65. Well, the wife said, you know, honey, you were going 85. You know you were driving fast, and, and you know how that was going to go. The officer said, unfortunately, I, I also saw you have a taillight that's out. I'm going to have to give you another ticket. And he said, I didn't know that that was out. And his wife said, honey, you've known that's been out for five weeks. <laughs> Things aren't going very well. Um, well, the officer said, I notice, you know, that you're not wearing your seatbelt either. I'm going to have to write you another. He said, that's crazy. He said, I took it off when you were coming to get me. I had to pull my wallet out, get my drivers. And she said, honey, you never wear your seatbelt. <laughs> and he finally had it with his wife. He turned over and he looked at her and he said, honey, would you please shut your mouth? How could you do this to me? Well, the police officer stopped him and asked, the, asked his wife, she said, does he always talk to you this way? She said, no, only when he's drunk. <laughs> That's rough. That's tough. Uh, we have started a series called Sticks and Stones, and what we've been talking about is the tongue. How many of you have found that living the Christian life, uh, it's not easy? And you found that not only that, but the area where you get yourself the trouble in the most is where? The tongue. I mean, uh, if you don't believe that, just ask. We have a guy that in our church last week, I won't say names, but you know who you are. You amen at the wrong, he's, rave, he's even waving his hand in the back. I'm surprised he's acknowledging it. But uh, a guy that amens at the wrong time, just saying, hey, you guys that were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, very terrible. He ended up having to eat lunch by himself. He didn't get to go home. Now, um, we're looking at the idea of the fact that in the Christian life, your tongue is something that is able to display how spiritual, mature you are as a believer. The Bible says in James 3, 2, it says, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, He's able to bridle the whole body. And what James meant by that is that if, as a believer, if you're able to control your tongue, what are you able to do? You can control anything. And James' point was this, is that the hardest thing to control in your life is what? Your tongue, the things that you say. Now, I wouldn't ask you if you struggle with that. It would probably be better off for some of you if I asked your spouse that. But the fact is, is that all of us, we say things that we shouldn't say. Now, when we come to Ephesians chapter 4, we find that Paul is contrasting two different uh, ideas. He's contrasting the old man with the new man. What he means by the old man is that old nature of what you used to be like before Christ. It's the sinful nature. It's the struggle that you have with the flesh. And he's also contrasting that old man with another side of you, the new man. That's who you've become since you became a believer. That's everything, the characteristics, the traits that are like Christ that he calls you to live out. 
And Paul is saying that in the Christian life, uh, a part of living that life that God's called you to is that you have to cast off that old nature, that old man, and you have to be putting on the new nature, the things that Christ has called you to live out, the characteristics and the traits that are consistent with who Christ is. That's hard to do, isn't it? And so he's going to use this clothing analogy of casting off the old nature and putting on the new nature that's like Christ. And so as we go through this, the thing that makes it interesting is this. In Romans chapter 6, it describes our old man, our old nature, who we used to be, was crucified with Christ. It means that when he died, what happened? We died. Now, here's the problem is that for a lot of us, you're like, well, if that old man died with all of those old traits, that old nature, why is it that he comes back up again? Have you ever noticed that? That sometimes like who we used to be, uh, whether we like it or not, it comes out of us, doesn't it? And so he's contrasting this and, and you find that at times the old man's very much still alive inside of all of us. I can remember like my boys, they like to fight, all right? I don't know what it is about boys. They like to, uh, anything that they can do, like when they have a sword in their hand, it's really dangerous. I'm just saying, I don't know why boys have to have a sword. But my boys, Judson will stab his brother Branson, okay, with a sword, like pretend, okay? It wasn't that vicious, all right? And so he, he stabs his brother with a sword and Branson will fall down on the ground and he'll start rolling around, okay, going all over the place. And Judson will ask him the question, are you dead? And he'll say, yeah, I'm dead. Well, Judson will say, well, why aren't you acting like it? And have you found that in the Christian life that although we're dead to that old nature, it very much at times in our life it comes up again. And one of the areas that it comes up again is in your speech. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to find that Paul is going to go through a list of things from the old nature that we have to throw off. And he's saying, and, and he gets very specific. And, and here's what I want to share, share with you this morning is this. Part of your old nature is this. It shows up in your speech and the way that you talk. You can listen to somebody in, in their everyday conversation, and you can tell whether or not they're walking in the spirit, living uh, in the new life, the new man that Christ created them to be, or you can listen to them and you'll discover that they're walking after the old man, the old nature that we're supposed to be casting off. You could basically say today, we're looking at this, it's gonna be a test for your tongue, all right? And we're gonna go through these traits and we're going to see, spiritually speaking, how are you doing with your tongue? That's a hard, hard lesson, but it's gonna be very practical for us this morning, okay? Let's get into this together. The very first thing that we see this is this. Don't tell lies. Speak the truth. All right, you're, just, you're like, a, oh, that's easy. Telling lies? Really? That's, that's as hard as it's going to get? Well, look at what he says. Verse 1, or verse 25, sorry. He says this. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Now, understand that Paul in Ephesians is writing to believers, so he's writing to the church. And notice the first word he uses, wherefore, meaning that because you're saved, because you've been redeemed, you put your faith in Christ, you're to live after this new man that God created you to be. Because of all that, he says, put away, what? Lying. 
It, it, the idea of the putting away is the idea of taking off a coat and throwing it down. He's saying that when you see that old man come up, specifically lying, you need to take that off and you need to throw it away. As a believer, you're to take off the garment of lying and be putting on the person that speaks truth. How important is that for our day today? We are filled in a generation and in a society that's filled with lies. You think through that lying is this. And, and I want to give us a definition because some people are like, well, what do you mean by lying exactly? Right? You know those people that they need a definition? Well, here you go. A lie is this. It is, uh, it's when you give a statement that's contrary to the facts with the intention to deceive. You give a statement that's contrary to the facts with the intention to deceive. There's a lot of ways that people lie. It's all over the place. You see, the problem with it in the Christian life is that Satan works in the realm of lies. Did you know the Bible teaches that Satan, it says that he is a, a liar and a deceiver? John 8 says this. It says, the devil is the father of what? Of all lies. It shouldn't be surprising that the, character, that the system that he controls in the world today is characterized by what? Lying. Uh, Satan lies about life, he lies about death, he lies about God, he lies about heaven and hell, he lies about what's right, he lies about what's wrong, and so in our world today, have you ever heard somebody say that someone was born a liar? Have you ever heard that term? In, in actuality, all of us were born liars. Uh, you ever notice with children, uh, I'm always surprised, like, oh, my little kid, he did that. All right, but here's the thing, is that all of them, they naturally are born to do what? They can lie, like, with the best. Like, have you ever found, like, how good little kids can lie? I mean, it's incredible. All right, so all of us were born with that sinful nature, the ability to be able to lie, to deceive people. Lying is everywhere. Let me kind of give you some ideas of ways that we lie, because already in your mind, you're already saying to yourself, well, I don't have that problem. I wouldn't do that. Let me kind of go through some ways that we do it. We exaggerate the truth. We cheat, whether it be on a test or in business. We don't pay our taxes. We, we, fail, we fail to keep our promises. We could ask your spouse about that. Uh, we could be uh, betraying confidence. Somebody shares something with you, and you decide that you're going to go and betray that and tell somebody else. We flatter people to get on their good side. Um, we give excuses instead of taking responsibility. Did you know that it's said statistically that um, people lie two times a day? Now, listen to some of these stats that I found. It's interesting. Now, I, I'm gonna, uh, this is going to be shocking to some of you, okay? Now, here's the thing that I saw. College students lie in 50% of their conversations with their mom, all right? Just like right out the gate. Like, man, every time you talk to them, it's 50-50, all right? I'm just joking. But that's true. All right, 10 million die, uh, 10 million lie uh, to the IRS every single year. Yeah, 80% lie on their resumes. Um, 100% of dating couples lie, all right? It's like, man, that's, that's totally true, all right? Um, think about how much lying goes on every day. We have lying in advertisements. Like if it was true, like if that could bring you back your hair, everybody would be buying it, but it's not true, Okay. <laughs> Uh, you, you look at the cologne that tells you that uh, it'll make all the women love you. It, it's a total lie. It's not true. All right? There's lying everywhere. 
I, I heard a story, politicians lie, right? Amen, all right, okay, uh, shocker. I know nobody's gonna go home, man. I learned something today. Now, I heard a story about a, a bus full of politicians. They were driving down a country road and they came to a swerve and, and the bus went off the side of the road, went into some farmland, hit a tree, and, and it was a loud noise. So the farmer comes out and he saw what happened and he dug a hole and put all the politicians in it. Well, what happened was is that a, a couple days later, the police officer noticed the bus and he goes and knocks on the door to this farmer's house and he asked him, he said, hey, I noticed there was a bus of politicians. Where, what happened to all of them? He said, oh, well, I buried them and I put them all in the hole. And the sheriff said, well, well were they dead? And he said, well, they said they, they weren't, but they're politicians, you can't trust them. Hey, folks, in our day today, we're in a society that lies. The, the distinguishing characteristic of a believer is the fact that they don't lie. They're truthful. They have integrity. The Bible says in Exodus 20, it says, don't bear false witness. God works in the realm of truth. God never lies. He's always faithful. He always tells the truth. And guess what? It's probably good if his children did that as well. You see, as believers, there's so many ways that we lie to each other. The Bible, uh, when you talk about, the, you remember the fact that Paul's writing to the church, and he says, he says, we're members of one another. You're not to lie to each other. You're like, well, people in church don't struggle with that, right? Wrong. If you remember back to the book of Acts, do you remember what happened, the very first sin that God judged in the church? You remember what it was? And back in Acts, you had Ananias and Sapphira. They went and they sold their land, and they brought the money to Peter and the other apostles, and what did they do? They laid it at their feet, but they kept back a portion of the money. You remember what happened? Peter said that, if you look back at Acts 5.3, it says this, Satan has filled your heart to lie to us. Notice who he associated their lie with. Satan. Why? That's the old nature. That's not who God made you to be. He made you to be a person of integrity, a person that tells the truth. A person that other people, when you speak, they believe what you say. And folks, uh, if we are going to live today and be the testimony that God's called us to be, you have to be a person of integrity that speaks the truth. I love what the Bible says about Christ. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, it says, who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. What that means was that when people met Jesus Christ, you know what stood out? He was a man of truth. Hey, folks, you might have in your old nature been a liar, but God created you and the new man to be a person of integrity and a person that tells the truth. You know why? In our world today, we need people that stand for truth. Amen. We need people that speak the truth, that when we say something, it actually means something. And the last place they should see that is in the church. Now, that's the very first thing. Well, you might be saying, well, Ryan, I struggle with the habit of lying. You know what I found that you could do that would help you with it? If when you lie, if you go to the person and ask them to forgive you, you're like, Ryan, I could never do that. That would be embarrassing. Well, by you doing that, you would ensure yourself you'd probably never do it again, all right? Right? Those are some ways that you could do that. Now, the very first thing he says, don't lie. Be a person that tells the truth. That's the first test. 
How do you do when you speak? Do you tell the truth? Do you exaggerate it? All right, the second thing is this. Don't lose your temper, but have righteous anger. Now, some of you guys are like, oh boy, here we go. All right, this test is getting out of control. Now look at the verse, verses 26 and 27. Follow along with me, this is what it says. It says, be ye angry. Now notice what he says. Should you be angry? Are there times where you should be angry? You're like, yes, finally one that I can do. I can be angry. All right, so be ye angry, but notice what he says. And sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither, neither give place to the devil. Now, why would Paul say be angry? Well, because not all angry, not all anger, sorry, if I can speak English, all right, not all anger is sinful. Are there times where God's angry? Yes. But the problem is, is that a lot of times, I don't know if you're like me, we get angry at the wrong things. A lot of times, if we were to compare the things that we get angry about with the things that God gets angry about, would you agree that they're in different categories? For instance, so you might be sitting here thinking, well, how do I know when it's right to be angry and when it's wrong to be angry? Now, some of you, you gotta take some good notes on this part because this will help you. All right, so the very first thing is this. Uh, let's give some three quick questions to know when it's okay to be angry. The first one is this, when it's over the right things. It's okay to be angry at the right things, but you know what the problem for some of us is? What kind of things do we get angry about? Uh, that guy cut me off on the road, I can't believe it. Uh, we get angry about what else? Somebody says something about us, somebody opposes us. We think that somebody looks down on us. We, um, we, we, we stand up in anger about things that we shouldn't be angry about. The Bible says that there's times where you have to, uh, it says that uh, if they smite you on your right cheek, what should you do? You should turn to him the other. That means that there's times where you should pray for your enemies. You're like, oh, well, I, I pray for my enemies that God would do something. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, is this, folks. There's a lot of things that you and I get angry about that would God be angry about it? Would he? A lot of things, no. I heard about a young mom, she was driving with her boy down the street, and the little boy asked his mom, he said, Mom, why is it that the idiots come out only when Daddy drives? <laughs> you see, you and I, we get angry about what? Little things that irritate, that frustrate. Let me ask you a question, and I really want you to Take pause and think about what I'm going to tell you. What were the things that angered Christ? When you think of anger in the Bible, probably the greatest story where Jesus got angry was when? When he went into the temple and he overturned the money changers. You know why it was that Christ got so angry? At the money changers, he flipped over the table because why? They were taking advantage of people and, and they were charging them exorbitant amounts of interest in order to take advantage of them. And so what angered Christ was the fact that people were being taken advantage of. That upset him and made him angry. You want to know what else? It was sin. The sin and the pridefulness of the Pharisees made Christ angry. It was the things of God, the fact that they turned the temple, God's house, into what? A play, a den of thieves is what he said. So what is it that makes Christ angry? Sin, 
people being taken advantage of, the things of God, the things that would upset. Here's the fact of the matter, folks, is this. A lot of the things that you and I get upset about are, are, are things, there's things we get upset about he would never be upset about. But we don't get angry enough over the things that he would be angry about. You see, we have things happening in our society, and a lot of times we would get more upset of somebody cutting us off the road than the amount of babies that are being killed in our country. I'm just saying the fact is, is that we have to be angry about the right things. Ask yourself, would Christ be angry about this? The second thing is this, be angry, uh, or am I angry in the right amount? You know that explosive anger in the Bible is never, ever okay? Anger that's out of control, anger that can't control what you say. It's that word thumos in the Greek. That word is, is the anger. Have you ever seen somebody when their face gets really red and they got like the veins coming through their forehead and coming through their neck and they look like they're about to explode? Well, it, that kind of anger that's just ready to blow up, that is never okay in the scriptures. Now, the only time thumos, thumos is used one time when it talks about God, but you wanna know what makes God different than us? God's always under control. That makes him different. But the type of anger that would just explode, the Bible says in Proverbs 25, 28, this. He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down and without walls. What does he mean by that? A person that can't control their own temper is like a city without protection. You see, anger is meant to be kept under control in the right amount. It's never to blow up. Now, the third question that you should ask yourself is this, and this is a really good one. Am I, am I bringing it to a right resolution? Look at what he says. He says, let not the sun do what? Go down on your what? On your wrath. There is a defined time period for your anger to be present. His point was this, is that whenever you allow anger to fester over a long time, is that good or bad for your soul? It's bad. It's not a good thing. Have you ever met people, like, they can be angry for weeks? It's like, oh, my goodness, like, when are you going to get over this? Like, we got to, like, let's, come on, don't say that to them, though. All right, and so the point is, it's like, um, I heard about a, man, a husband and a wife, they were having an argument, and, and I, I, they had said they made a promise to each other that they would never go to bed angry. And they said, well, we didn't sleep for seven years. Hey, folks, there's a lot of people that harbor the anger inside of their soul. You see, anger was never meant to be something that you hold on to for a long period of time, is it? Do you know why? Look at the next passage, what he says. He says in verse 27, he says, neither give place to who? To the devil. Now, you wouldn't know this, but when you read the passage, Paul is doing a play on words. The word devil there is the idea of slanderer. He says that when you have anger and you allow it to go on over a long period of time, you know what you're doing? Eventually in your heart or in what you say, you're going to slander that person. He's saying literally, you are going to begin to slander them in your thoughts or what you say, so you're gonna give way to the slanderer, the ultimate slanderer, Satan. 
Hey folks, I've found that in the Christian life, whenever you're angry and you're explosive and you're out of control and you're angry for the wrong amount of time, you're angry about the wrong things and the wrong amount at the wrong period of time, you know what you're doing? You're living life in the old nature. That's That's not who Christ called you to be anymore. You're now called to be a person that's led underneath the the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? And now you're supposed to be underneath that new nature that's controlled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I was reading an article recently, I thought it was interesting. There's this bird that's called uh, the Southern Giant Petrel. Now, this is a weird bird, okay? Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these before, I I hope not. All right, this bird, like when it feels attacked, you know what it does? It has this unique defense mechanism. It will projectile vomit on its uh, attacker. And it's so strong, it's able to knock its victim down, all right? Now, when I was thinking about that, you and I can think of people that have left a destructive path because they spew out their anger on people. You ever met people like that? Hey, folks. From the moment that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God began to work in your life and telling you, hey, that's not who you are anymore. That's who you used to be. You see, the fact of the matter is, is that God calls every single one of us in here to now be led underneath the power of the Holy Spirit, to give him control. I like what the the psalm says, Lord, I I give you the, the gates of my lips. May you control it. The fact is, is that, folks, we have to be careful about our anger because when it's uncontrolled, it does untold damage in the lives and in the relationships that we have. True or false? Now, he goes to the third thing. Now, this is the only one that doesn't have to deal with the tongue. He says, don't steal, but be a giver. Look at verse 28. He says, let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, oh, Ryan, 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 stealing. That's not a problem for me. Now, stealing is this. Stealing is taking, uh, taking as your own something that belongs to someone else. You're like, well, Ryan, who is it that has a problem stealing? Like, well, there's a lot of ways that we steal. Understand, he's talking to who? You remember? I told you Paul's writing to the church, and he's telling them to stop stealing. Why is it that he would write that to them? Hey, folks, look up this way. There's a lot of ways that we steal today that we necessarily, quote, unquote, we might not call it stealing. Did you know that stealing might be as simple as going to work and not pulling in your full time. You clock in, you do your job, but you don't do your job completely. You leave early. Come in late, leave early, but you still get your same pay. You're like, well, Ryan, they don't pay me enough. Did you agree to work there? And if you did, the Bible teaches the fact that the laborer is worthy of his wages, meaning that you ought to work in order to get something. It shouldn't be given to you. Isn't that a good message for today? You got to work to get something. And, and the fact is, he's teaching the fact that if there's anybody that should be a hard worker, it ought to be who? A believer. The hardest workers ought to be believers. Colossians 3.24 says this. It says, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. When you work, you're not just working for a human employer. You're actually working for who? 
Jesus Christ. You do your job every day to the glory of God, and I guarantee you, your boss will be pleased with your work. In Paul's day, the thing that's interesting is that Paul is writing to a group of people that, it's said that in Rome there were 50 million slaves. And so when Paul was addressing this issue of, of working for your compensation in order to work, in order to make a living, uh, many of these slaves, they didn't have enough to be able to feed their families, to be able to take care of everybody. And Paul says, hey, you ought to be able to work, work with your hands the things that are good. What's he mean by that? He's saying that work is honorable thing in God's sight. Hey, don't, don't underestimate what it's like to go in and clock in every morning and clock out every night in order to provide for your family. That's an honorable thing to do. But notice that Paul even raises the bar a little bit more. And this is where I want you to focus. He says, why should you work? Well, he says, notice that he says that you may have to give to him that what? That needeth. Not only should you work because you work for the Lord, but you should work in order to be what? To be a blessing to other people. You know what he's contrasting, folks? Listen up this way. He's contrasting that old man that used to be a taker, that used to be a stealer, that used to be only concerned with yourself, and he's now saying, hey, that's not who I want you to be anymore. Now I want you to be known as somebody that's generous, somebody that's a hard worker, somebody that has integrity, so that you can now be a generous person. Why? Well, for the very simple fact that when you were at your greatest need and you were far from Christ, who took care of your need? Jesus Christ came. He left the riches of heaven behind to be come down and to be born in a manger into a family that was very poor so that you and I could be made what? Rich. Hey, folks, the characteristic of a person that's in the new nature is now no longer a taker, no longer a stealer, but they're now a person that does what? They give and they're generous and they're compassionate and they have kindness. Now, let's continue going on. We have two more. One, uh, number four is this. Don't, don't use your mouth for evil, but use it for good. Look at what he says in verses 29 and 30. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. You know what he means by that? Hey, you might take a pen and circle that word corrupt communication. You know what it means? Spoiled fruit. You ever gone to eat some uh, fruit before and you look at it and it's spoiled? What does it look like? It's slimy, it smells, it's off, it doesn't look very pleasant to eat, right? And what he means by that is that it's the idea of something that's worthless, that's offensive. And what Paul means by that is that your language, where is there profanity in the life of the Christian? Dirty jokes, crude things, innuendos. There's lots of people that think it's all right by the way that they talk. Jesus said in Matthew 12, he says, let every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account. What does he mean by that? God listens to every word that comes out of your mouth. 
He's saying that in the life of a believer underneath a new nature, you shouldn't be a person that uses profanity, that, that uh, it's an insult to God and his character. You recognize how much of your words and what you say, you're a representative of Christ. That might have been who you used to be in that old nature, the one that uses the dirty language. He's saying, but that's not who I've made you to be. He says you're to use it now, what does he say? But that which is good to use of edifying. He's saying speak the things that are what? That are good. You know, I heard about a husband and a wife. The wife, she got all dressed up. I mean, she was looking beautiful. And she walks into her husband's room and, or into the room there and says, hey, you know, are you ready for our date? And he's like, I totally forgot about it. And she's, he's like, well, I, I tell you what we'll do. Why don't you go downstairs, you get the car, pull it around, and, and I'll take a shower, I'll get dressed real quick, and I'll meet you down there. Well, she went down to get the car, she pulled it around, she came in and she was really frustrated. He said, what's going on? He, she said, I locked the keys in the car. That husband was furious. He began, I mean, he said, how could you be so stupid? I mean, he was talking, he was being mean to her. And he finally made the statement. He said, how could God make someone so beautiful and yet so stupid? Well, she had the perfect statement that she came back with. This is what she said. It was very good. She said, uh, well, I've, obviously God made me so beautiful that you would love me. And God also made me so stupid that I would love you. Folks, the fact of the matter is, is how much of our communication with each other is corrupt. Have you ever struggled, and now I'm going to ask you this question and I know the answer. How many of you have ever struggled to know when you should say something and when you shouldn't? How many of you recognize that uh, in living life, there's times where you should have a filter? Uh, it, it, those of you that don't recognize, you're not married yet, all right? But here's the thing. Listen, you have to have a filter that you run your words through, right? You have a way of analyzing what you're going to say before it actually comes out your mouth, and you determine whether or not I should say that or whether I shouldn't, right? If you're a smart person, you'll do that. All right, now, what Paul does in this passage is pretty incredible because Paul gives us a filter that we can use to filter our communication, now, all of us, there's not a person in here at the workplace or with friends or family members, we've struggled with whether or not we should say something, right? So Paul gives us the filter that we should use. Now, notice what he says, and it says this. First thing is this. You should ask yourself, does it edify? Notice he says in the verse, he says, speak that which is good to the use of what? Edifying. That means, is it helpful is it constructive? Is it encouraging? Is it uplifting? Now, it can be uh, warning somebody when you do it with the right attitude. Hey, if you're doing it with their, for their benefit, hey, there's times where it's good for you to warn somebody. Hey, that can be something that can edify somebody. Second question is this. Is it, is it necessary? Will it minister to them? Notice he says that it may minister. That word minister means to fit the need. That means is what I'm going to say, is it appropriate for the situation? Hey, did you recognize there's an appropriate time to say something and an appropriate time not to say something? Hey, I've, you want a uh, little marriage advice? All right, I, I've learned this the bad way. Um, 
probably not good to have arguments in front of a bunch of people. Right? Okay, so that's a good time to ask the question, uh, is it appropriate? Is now the time to, to go through some of this? He said, is it necessary? Okay, that's a good question to ask. Is it fitting for the situation? Now notice that also the third thing is this, is it gracious? Notice he says that, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Notice it's talking about grace to who? The hearer, the one that's listening to it. Am I saying it for their benefit? Is there something that they can get from this that will be helpful to them? Hey, listen, you know what I've found in my life? A lot of times I'll say something to somebody and I'm not necessarily saying it for them as much as I am saying it for myself because it'll make me feel better. You ever been there before? Don't lie. Come on, you guys. You know the truth. All right, now he's saying that you should measure yourself. Are you going to say it because it's going to be gracious to that person? Is it going to serve them? Notice that it will be grace to the hearer, not to the one speaking, okay? And then here's the ultimate question. The ultimate question you can ask is this. Will it grieve the Holy Spirit? Notice what he says in verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until what? The day of redemption. Listen, if the Holy Spirit wouldn't have you to say it in that moment, what do you think you should do? Back off. Like, don't even go there. All right, when the Holy Spirit, and you know it as much as I do, there's times when you're going to say something, the Holy Spirit begins to say, don't do it. Don't do it. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go down that path. Sometimes the best thing that you could do is you could wait, you could pray about it, and you can ask God, is this something you want me to say? Now, I'm just going to be honest with you folks. Hey, is that not something that we need to use every single day? Run it through the filter. God's word has already clearly laid out for us how to use the tongue. Sometimes we just fail to use it. Now lastly, we look at this last thing and we'll be done. Don't be rude. Now that's a shock. Don't be rude, but be kind. Look at what he says. Now I love how practical God's word is because there's nothing he said yet that hasn't been something you can use today. Now look at what he says, and I'm going to inter interpret, I'm going to help you understand what each word means. Verse 31, he says, let all bitterness, that's resentful, uh, re being resentful towards other people. And wrath, that's the explosive anger, okay? And anger and clamor. Clamor is like, you, you ever heard like, clamoring is like yelling at each other. That's what that means. And he says, in evil speaking, that's abusive words that we use to put people down. Be put away from you with all malice. Malice is wishing evil for people. Malice is when you begin to think in your heart all the ugly things you could do to them. Not that you would ever do that in church, all right? But I'm just saying, all right, according to God's word, hey, all of these things he says what? What does he mean by it? You want me to summarize it for you? That's, uh, that's a rhetorical question. All right, it means this. Paul is summarizing everything that he's already said, and he's saying, stop fighting with each other. That's not who God made you to be. He's not made you to be a hateful person that's filled with bitterness, that's filled with anger, that's yelling at people. That's your old nature. That's who you used to be. Stop being hateful. Stop being rude towards each other. And how many times do we have to do it before we learn our lesson? 
But notice he says, that's who you used to be. So what should I do in place of it? Look at what he says in verse 32. He says, and be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I love what he says, be kind to one another. Show generosity towards each other. Use good words with each other. Those are the clothes that you're supposed to wear. Are you like me and you look at your life sometimes and the things you say? I was preparing for this message all week. And I'll be honest with you, even me that I'm getting in God's word trying to digest what God's saying through the passage, I'm studying the passage knowing what's coming and I find that, like even last night, like we were eating pizza and, and we were watching a movie as a family trying to spend time with the kids and like they're jumping all over the place going nuts and I can just feel like my blood pressure is starting to go up. You ever been there before? And before you know it, like, uh, I'll be honest with you, my volume level and how I was speaking probably wasn't appropriate. And the fact of the matter is, is like, you're like, you got to look at your wife and kids, I'm sorry. And, and by the way, so you know, I'm preaching about this tomorrow. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the fact of the matter is, folks, there's a lot of times that our old nature comes up in our mouth, doesn't it? And you know what I think is so convicting about this passage? If I could get your attention up here, the thing that's most convicting about this passage is this. Paul knows that we struggle with that old man popping up in our speech all the time. You're like, well, Ryan, how do you know that Paul knows that? Well, you look at the passage and he says, oh, and by the way, I'm not tacking this on. Not only should you be kind to each other, but he says, forgive one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Hey, by the way, if you're struggling with, with words that people have spoken to you in the past, by the way, there's not a person in this room that doesn't remember something mean somebody said to you in the past. And he's saying, by the way, I, because this old nature comes out in your tongue so often, you need to get really good at forgiveness, by the way. Isn't that a good word? And by the way, like, if you're tempted to say, well, 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 Paul, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You know what he says? Hey, you're supposed to forgive others even as God, for Christ's sake, has done what? He's forgiven you. Now, the idea of forgiveness is this. It's to cancel a debt. Have you thought about it? To cancel a debt. To cancel a debt means I'll no longer hold it against you any longer. Now, you're like, well, Ryan, if you knew what they said you would not tell me to cancel their debt. I can't forget about it. Listen, canceling a debt is not forgetting. It's not forgetting. God doesn't forget what you've done. Forgetting in the Bible doesn't mean that you, it, means that, it doesn't mean that you won't recall what happens. Listen, folks, it means that when you do recall it, that I'll refuse to make you pay for it. I'll stop holding it against you from now on. Now think about it, if, if, if you had a Visa credit card, and let's say you ran up a bunch of debt and Visa called you up and they said, we're canceling your debt, but they still kept sending the bill to your house. What would you think? You're like, well, they didn't forgive my debt because they keep sending the bill. Hey folks, whenever you recall what people have done and you, you hold it against them and you make them think that they have, to, uh, they have to pay for what they've done, listen, you haven't forgiven them. You're still holding it against them. And, and, and the model for forgiveness in this passage is who? 
is that the way that God has forgiven you because of what Christ did on your behalf. Hey, folks, listen up. When, when Christ has forgiven you, it, the Bible talks about that he takes your sin and he casts it into the depths of the sea. Why does he say it that way? Meaning that he'll never hold it against you anymore. When you sin and he says that I'll take your sin and I'll put it as far as the east is from the west, what does he mean by that? How far is the east from the west? It can't be measured. Hey, folks, the forgiveness that God has given you, it cannot be measured. And listen, when you hold it against people, you're living in the old nature. And he's saying that when the, the old nature comes in your mouth a lot and, and, and you speak the things that you shouldn't. And he's saying you need to get really, really good at doing what? Forgiving. You know, I heard a story this week, and I'll close with it. It's a story about a father and a teenage son. They lived in Spain. The father and the son, they got into a terrible argument. It strained their relationship, and eventually the, the boy, he ran away from home. It devastated the father. He began to go out, and he began to search for where he could find his boy, he couldn't find him, and so his last resort, he decided he was going to write an article and he was going to put it in the newspaper in Madrid. His son's name was Paco, and evidently that was a very common name in Spain. But he wrote this article, and this is what he wrote. He said, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. I want you to know that all's forgiven. I love you. The next day, the dad showed up in front of the newspaper office, and he noticed that there was 800 Pacos that showed up. You know, as I thought about that, when it comes to the tongue, there's not a person that doesn't need to both be forgiven for things that we've said, but there's also not a person inside this room that also doesn't need to forgive somebody else. The same grace that you need from other people is also the same grace that you also have to extend to other people. If you have received God's grace and his forgiveness into your life, you also are called to extend that same grace and forgiveness to other people. And one of the greatest words that can ever come off the tongue of any child of God is these words. I forgive you. Hey, folks, that's new nature. That's Christ-likeness that's coming out of the mouth. When you choose to hold it against them, that's the old nature. That's not who God made you to be. He made you to be the person that's going to be kind in your speech, that will be loving, building people up, being kind, compassionate, forgiving one another, just like Christ forgave you. I'm going to ask if we would just bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.